And they stayed with the hard stuff. And it's popped up into shallow left field. And Bobby Witt Jr. with a tremendous sliding play in left field. Oh, man, that looked like a going to be a doinker all the way. And Jr. turned the Jets on. Everyone and welcome to the Royals Rundown podcast with myself, Jake Milham, and we got the usual crew tonight. It's Jeremy Greco and Greg Walker. Greg, how you doing tonight, sir? I am doing all right. It is like borderline summer weather in Kansas City right now, so I am all about it. Hell yeah, hell yeah. And Jeremy, I, I threw you off there, man. I had to throw you a curveball. I am like I, I've been demoted. I'm <laughs> I'm done. I'm I'm on my way out the door. No, sometimes, sometimes you just have to go down to come back up. No, oh, that's, okay. That's the, that's what I'm telling myself about Nick Prado, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's like I've been hitting it hard, but I'm not. I'm not getting getting on base anyway. Just, and it's like, nah, you just you got to go get your confidence. You're going down. Get yeah. some confidence back. I need you. I need you to work on your contact. Okay. I need you to work on your hit tool, there, Jeremy. Okay. Step it up. You I'm, got you got power. 65. Two for two on amazing Chris Bubich starts. Oh my God. All right. Anywho's before we go down that rabbit trail that does not need to be explored at all this early in the season, please go check out all the great work at RoyalsReview.com. You can also find them on Twitter and on Facebook. Look guys, you might wonder why I'm so happy. And it's because even though I'm out in Virginia, I know that visitors to Kauffman stadium are liberated. They have their libations for the majority of the game. They extended the beer sales, guys. You're going to be able to buy beer now through the bottom of the eighth, the whole extra inning, whole extra inning. Jeremy, what do you think? So I I haven't heard what if the Royal, what the Royals said when they made this announcement, if they said anything, but very fortunately, we do have uh, some officials from the Brewers uh, I have, have spoken and they're on the record and I just, they, they, the move is, I, I, I mean, I think it's obvious to everyone. This move is they want more money. The games are shorter. They want more money. So they're going to extend beer sales. But then this is the thing that blows my mind and not in a good way, like in a bad way where the pieces brain matter just everywhere. Not good. He says the most important thing is fan safety. So we'll keep an eye on this and make sure that if, if the most important thing was fan safety, you would be moving the beer sales. You would be like cutting it off after six innings now because the games are shorter, get innings go faster. You got to sober up. They don't care about fan safety, not even a little bit. Now, here's the thing. And this is the this is the part that I'm like a little iffy on is I don't think that if MLB had never had like a cutoff for, for beer sales. I don't think anyone would know the difference. They wouldn't care, but now that they have had a cutoff and they're moving that cutoff later, I think they're putting themselves on the hook for drunk driving accidents out of the stadium. I think they're asking to be sued and I can't imagine the beer sales are worth it, but they have the smart business people and they must think that they are. So more power to you, I guess. I tend to doubt they're going to be on the hook for anything like that. I mean, bars don't get in trouble when people get in DUIs after visiting them. And so I really don't think that's going to apply here. Like 
as you mentioned, it's just a reaction to games being shorter now. And so like in terms of time after you enter the stadium in which you can still buy a beer, like nothing has really changed. It's just in terms of the arbitrary time limits of innings, but I'm not surprised. Cause like, you know, this has happened at other ballparks too. And I wouldn't be shocked if it happens to all 30 ballparks at some point down the line. But frankly, look, beer there is so expensive. So I'm like, usually I try to not get more than one when I'm in the ballpark. Anyway, I drink before. Well, listen, so, I mean, some of these folks, they're, they're crushing back, you know, a beer and inning. And like you were talking about, Which, Jerry, like, how, how much money do you have to burn if you're doing that? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what job you have in Kansas city that uh, you're a young professional and just have what in, in this economy, you're buying beer at Kauffman stadium. Good Lord. A, be, a beer and inning would be like 150 bucks. I mean, you're already paying for parking. What's a couple thousand beers <laughs> after that? <laughs> what, I mean, what, what's it to you at, at that point, at that point, but look, to, to both y'all's points, I agree. This is just a money grab at the end of the day because we already have plenty of, and I'm referring to Baseball America on this, there are plenty of minor league GMs who have had the pitch clock in place for a long time. And some of them have actually said that concession sales have gone up with how quick the game is going. Like people are, they're not leaving early, so they're actually buying concessions through the eighth and through the ninth inning. So it's, this is all about money. I don't know. I really don't know, Jeremy, how someone in good conscience can say that they're worried about play or player safety. Well, player safety too, fan safety and facilitating more alcohol sales. You know what I mean? And later alcohol sales. Yeah. It's the two facedness of it, of it that bothers me because I mean, it's not like people didn't go up, you know, with two outs in the bottom of the seventh and buy four beers. Right. And they're like, oh, I got three buddies back. No, you don't. These are for you. <laughs> Whatever. No one cares. You're doing it fine. Um, but so, I mean, people have found ways to drink their beers after the seventh inning. So it's just like, why, why are you even saying anything about fan safety? I don't believe you at all. Not even a little bit. Yeah, just, just classic PR speak, right? I mean, they can't just come out and say like, yeah, we want to have more opportunities to make money late in the games. So we're going to send alcohol sales. Like we all know that's the answer, but they can't just come out and say it. Uh, well, and I think that at Kauffman stadium, they should be giving beers away to anybody oh who gosh. stays through the eighth inning. They, they should be saying. paying me to attend those games. Exactly. <laughs> please, please, Sam Mellinger, if, if you're listening to this, I need to be on the payroll to, uh, to travel to a Kansas city Royals game. I don't know. Gas money, at least, please. Something, anything. The uh, um, independent ball team here in Kansas City, now called the Monarchs, used to be called the T-Bones, used to have a special on Thursdays that was $1.50 beer nights. Woo. Don't know if that still exists, but if it does, I'm going to have to get it back out there this summer. That's, that's tell what you, I'm saying, man. Go for minor it. league teams have some great promotions. They do. I, I'm out here in North Carolina, so I was looking up the Asheville Taurus, and they they got like – you can get a suite with a unlimited buffet and it's like 30 bucks and you don't got to pay for parking. <laughs> like, I'm just saying you want to, you want an affordable baseball trip. Go find you a minor league park. Don't worry about this major league business. Oh, not to mention Carolina is like the world capital of minor league baseball. Isn't it? Yeah, something like that. I mean, I know they got the, that's they they put the, um, that one movie that I didn't like that everyone loves. Bull Durham. Yeah. That one, they put that in North Carolina. So, yeah, I mean, let's keep it Royal centric here. Even the Columbia Fireflies, low A team, you know, they're not packing the stadium every single night, but they have every single night of the week. 
is a drinking special of some sort. There you go. $2 beer Tuesdays, White Claw Wednesdays, Budweiser Budweiser Thirsty Thursdays, where you can get $2 and $3 beers. I mean, like that is, if you want to have a good time, go to a minor league team. So so you could go to a major league game and you could buy a beer in the eighth inning. Or you could go to a minor league game and buy a beer and still be able to afford your your car payment or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I could buy a beer every inning at a minor league game for the same price as one at Kauffman Stadium. (laughs) And that's math, y'all. That's why you tune into the podcast for our uh, math in regards to alcohol. I I love it here. I love it. Can I just completely, I'm going to derail us so hard right now. Please do. Did y'all see that? I think it was on TikTok. The guy who went to a Royals game for dollar dog night and bought a hot dog for every half inning. Oh my God. Oh, I did. That was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, it was. Hot dogs. Dude, Ooh, eight. it came up again, right? As the season was starting. I was oh, like, really? I'll I remember go back that guy. That. Oh my gosh. Could you, I couldn't imagine. Like you, you have to go and wait in line at the, for the bathroom at, at Kauffman stadium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I physically lines. couldn't. Or the concession lines. Like what when did he actually watch? He wasn't the game? he wasn't buying them every half inning. He was buying a bunch at a time and eating oh, them every half inning. All right, but, I'm an idiot. Well that I'm and that, what that just means is you're eating cold hot dogs. Yeah. Well, not if you go in the summer, then they'd stay at like, you know, outside temperature. Oh yeah. Well, you know, up there in the upper tier, I'm sure there's enough room, like enough empty seats. He probably was able to stack out like a dog for every seat and just have it warming, <laughs> cooking on that hot plastic. The but they're fo- they're of- folding seats though, so we have to find a way to keep the seat open. The hot dog is not heavy enough to keep that down. Um, I'm sure there were ghosts of Royals wins past that were holding <laughs> down the seats for him. I don't know, man. I, I I gotta. I'm I'm pulling stuff out of my out of my ass here, and we are now explicit. Yeah, well, you know, you got to get there somehow. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Had to, had if if you're not explicit, no one no one pays any attention. That's true. So well, hey, how about how about we talk some ball, fellas? I mean, oh, my games oh no, <laughs> Greg, Greg, no, oh, I ruined um, it. But no, but honestly, in in Royals news, some some good stuff is what I would say. Uh, Drew Waters, he is returning to the ball field down in Arizona. Granted, he's not coming back to Kansas City. In the meantime, the team did stress that he will have a cautious approach. Quote there from the Ann Rogers piece. Um, and they're hopeful he rejoins the Royals in early May. Now I know that in the off season, kind of the competition, a lot of folks were focusing on was Kyle Isbell versus drew waters. Now, if you could just watch the past few games, I am taking Kyle Isbell over drew waters right now, just on the defense alone, because Isbell has been lights out in center field. In in my opinion, the hit, the hitting still has to get there. But Drew Waters can go play out in right field or something like that. Jeremy, I, I see you got something brewing there. Go for it. I uh, just before I talk about the baseball, I just have to have they ever has a baseball team ever said, you know, we're going to recklessly approach this player's rehab. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, I mean, they they did that with the entire 2018 draft class of pitchers and said, oh, hey, fair. we are being reckless as hell with their progression. They're going right to the major leagues. But we don't care. We don't care about building them as players. How how dare you suggest a thing like that? So yeah, I I don't have a strong preference between Waters and Isbell in center. I do think Isbell's been very good in center, which is uh, it's interesting that he finally got this chance because 
I know some people have been clamoring for him to get a chance out there, and other people have been saying, well, he probably doesn't have the stuff to do it in Kauffman Stadium full time. Like he could play center field in Cincinnati, but not in Kansas City. And, and I always thought that was a little bit weird. I get that the outfield is bigger, but it's not that much bigger, guys. Um, so I, if uh, Isbell does look good out there, so I'm, you know, ride the hot hand. We've, we've done that before. Where uh, off the top of my head, uh, Johnny Damon had to play center field because Carlos Beltran got hurt, and then he got so hot. And Carlos Beltran came back, and they said, "All right, Carlos, you're playing left because Johnny ain't moving out of center." Yeah, I agree with you on the fact of I don't understand the whole discourse whenever somebody's like so and so can't play a center field in Kauffman Stadium. So I'm like, okay, one, half of your games that you play are not in Kauffman Stadium. And two, it's not like it's that much bigger than every other outfield in Major League Baseball. Like I know it's big all around, but it's not like it's a massive pasture and everybody else is playing in a little backyard. But I think at this point, like you, you kind of have to keep running Isbell out there, right? Like he's already 26 years old this year. I don't think he really has anything left to prove in triple a. And so like, we know that he's going to give you plus in our field defense. And so at this point, like we just have to see if the bat's going to come around and he's not going to get that either riding the bench or playing down in the minors. And so I really think Isbell just needs to get a solid extended run this year and see what happens. And I want to say the same about Edward Olivares, but I've pretty much thought for several years now, the Royals just don't believe believe in him and are never going to give him a consistent opportunity. And it kind of seems like that's the case so far this season. Yeah. I, I very much agree on Ollie. Go ahead, Jeremy. The important thing is just that Drew Waters and Kyle Isbell are both playing. That's, that's what we need to see is they yeah, both need true. to be playing a lot. Um, whether whichever one of them is in center, whichever one of them is playing corner outfield, I don't care. And see with, with waters, I just want to warn everybody, like just, temper your expectations for him this year, because like, I know he was good in a small sample last year, but he struck out over 36% of the time ran a 353 Babbitt and had like a 25% hard hit rate. And so if you think he's going to replicate a 125 WRC plus, I have a bridge to sell you. I, I how much? Uh, $5 plus tax. I will buy a bridge for $5. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, right, I just, uh, I think there's no way that drew waters can replicate what he did last year. But the thing is like, he's been playing in triple a since 2019. So he's also in the boat where it's like, I don't know how much having him in triple a is really going to help him out. And so he probably needs regular playing time also, but the outfield picture just starts to get really crowded. When you think about waters and Isbell and Olivares and where does MJ Melendez fit in? What's his position? And then you still have Jackie Bradley jr. Floating around some for some reason. So yeah, it's a, I'm glad I don't have to sort out this roster because the roster construction is very strange. Yeah. I, I, I just look around and I see the Cardinals. I think the a uh, not, well, yeah, the A's, um, the rays, they just find guys. They're like, well, that guy wasn't a prospect. And then like, he turns it into something in the big leagues. And it's like, why can't the Royals have that? Just, just once. Also, nice. I'm going to, I'm going to throw a, a flashbang out here and I'm going to say, where's MJ Melendez? Where's he fit in on another team? Yeah, oh maybe, but like, I, I have no idea what his trade value is like right now, because like, he's been just a mess of the plate so far this year. And he doesn't really have a position and like what made him so valuable as a trade chip before he got promoted was the fact that he's a catcher that led the minor leagues in home runs. But now it's like, well, is he still a catcher? Cause that offense really valuable if he's a catcher, but if he's not kind of marginal for a corner outfielder, I've been hearing all kinds of great things about his framing metrics. Yeah. We're still at the point where I'm not going to like read into anything in terms of defensive metrics. 
That is very true. That is very true. Hey, let's let's button this up on Drew Waters real fast, though, because the fact of the matter is when he comes back to the 26-man roster, someone's going to have to go back down, and there's plenty of struggling guys that I feel like could go down to AAA or even get DFA'd if necessary. Jeremy, I'd like to go ahead and start off with you. If you had to pick someone today to demote or DFA for Drew Waters, who would it be? Uh, if I was doing the picking, it's Hunter Dozier. 100%. <laughs> yes. I, it's, it's the only correct the, 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 We talk about, we need to see what Kyler's bill has. We need to see what Drew Waters has. We have seen Hunter Dozier. It, Hunter Dozier has been seen. We, we, we have him burned into our eyelids. When we go to bed at night, we see Hunter Dozier. It's... Ugh. So yeah, if that's, if that, if it's my call, it's Hunter Dozier. I don't think Hunter Dozier has gone. I think Nate Eaton gets demoted, but that's how I would do it. Greg, go ahead. Nate, Nate Eaton is a pretty good answer because like, I don't think he's a third baseman at all long-term like the metrics there last year were pretty bad for him. So he's probably an outfielder. He factors into that outfield question. So it makes sense to send him down, but if it's not going to be him, I know this wouldn't clear up the outfield at all, but I think Michael Massey used to go back to triple a for a little while, because for one, he's only played 33 games above double a, or I guess 33 games at triple a last year. So he's not in the same boat as Isbell and waters where it's like, okay, what else do you have to prove at triple a? And this year he has looked lost at the plate. I mean, he has 12, 12 K's and no walks so far one extra base hit in his 32 plate appearances. And in, in last night's game, he came up with runners and scoring position and less than two outs multiple times. And just every time when he's out of the plate, I was like, just my heart sinks. Like he's going to strike out here, isn't he? And sure enough strikes out on three pitches, which I understand Jacob DeGrom is a tough assignment, but still like you have to be able to be productive in some of those situations. He's just, I know he won the job with that great spring, but he has not been good at all at the plate. And I think he could use some time to just reset down in triple a. Cause again, only 33 games at triple a. And so he still like could get something valuable out of that. But, but his last at bat, he came through. He's fixed now. Everything's fine. Oh yeah, that's that's good. He has a negative thirty nine WRC plus. I play second base. You can carry a weak <laughs> WRC plus there. <laughs> but but Greg, hey, M- Mr. Stats fan over there, who who has the worst WRC plus right now in the Royals? I don't have that in front of me, but if I had to guess, it would be either Dozier, Massey, or probably Franmil. Oh, I guess Franmil has two homers though. So I don't yeah. know. Dozier has one. I actually think it's Massey. I think two is more than one. And well, I can luckily for me, I can pull that up. Well, Hey, first off, both y'all talk about demoting Nate Eden. I don't know how you could do that. The man is a proven reliever. Okay. He has, he has some amazing. The the answer, the answer is actually Nate Eden. Well, he's, uh, he is one for 19 with 10 strikeouts. Oh, so. oh There's gosh. a prediction I missed on. <laughs> Oof. Okay. Well, yeah, I, Nate Eaton, love, love you, man. But it, you, you got to go. <laughs> um, anywho's that, that was a terrible impersonation, but yeah, so that is uh drew waters. We'll probably be seeing some more churn on that here in the coming days. And let's not forget uh, Danny Lynch, he will eventually return. He'll probably return here in a couple of weeks. So there's a, uh, there are some impending roster moves. And I do have to say, Ann Rogers, she did a good job of reminding everyone that some of the important day markers have passed for folks to be promoted and demoted. Um, I'm blanking on the specifics on it right now, but most importantly, we are going to be seeing some more moves in the coming days. Coming up on the other side of this, we'll talk about some more Royals baseball. Stay tuned.
and we are back here with Greg Walker and Jeremy Greco. Greg, I'm going to start off with you here because the thing on everyone's mind was that gut punch of a loss last night to the Texas Rangers. And I know they're trying to avoid the sweep tonight. Um, the game is actually going on as we are recording, but can you just give us your thoughts on that Tuesday night game? Well, for one, I was shocked that they actually managed to score against Jacob DeGrom because I honestly thought they were going to get shut out for seven innings by him and then maybe have some sort of late rally against the bullpen and just fall short. That was kind of my expectation going into it. They actually managed to score against him. I know it was a little bit of Babbitt block, like some kind of softly hit balls falling in. I know Vinny Pasquantino had a pretty nice game against him. And so that is quite encouraging. I'll admit I was quite encouraged by just how the team kind of battled, especially in the late innings. I know they ended up falling short because Scott Barlow just like the worst slider of all time to Jonah Heim. And so ended up losing the game on that. This game doesn't like have me any more worried about the team than I already was. So it's not like I'm going to panic or anything. You know, there was some hard luck outs expected batting average overall wasn't very good for the team, but they actually showed some fight. So I appreciate seeing that. My favorite thing while Scott Barlow was pitching was Rex going, he's throwing so many fastballs. Why isn't he throwing a slider? He throws a slider. Oh, that's why well, he doesn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. That's why that slider was asking to get crushed and Jonah Heim obliged. But didn't he just, strike out four up. times before he hit that home run too? something like that? Let's yeah, see. Jonah Heim had previously gone strikeout, strikeout, ground into double play. He was, he was the opposite of stri- So th- three, th- three Ks and a GIDP. So yeah, yeah pretty bad. better. Uh, the the only time putting a ball in play is worse than striking out. <laughs> <laughs> Literally the only time. But hey, I do. So let's. I think this is a good time to talk about a bigger thing because. I I do have to give him credit. Royals Farm Report put up a good poll last night asking about who the Royals failed to trade more, Whit Merrifield or Scott Barlow. And Barlow isn't the top option, but for me, he like he was the clear cut. Like the Royals should have traded this man two or three years ago when he was a top three unquestionable reliever in baseball. Greg, I I want to start off with you here. Is like, is Barlow cooked? Is he done? Or is this just a bad game? I don't think he's cooked. Like he looked more or less fine. His first three appearances of the year. And again, it was just like throwing an absolute meatball to Jonah Heim ended up sinking the outing. And so I'm not pressing the panic button on him yet or anything, but that said, I do remember how last year his Velo was down a little bit. He wasn't looking quite as dominant, quite as sharp as he was looking in previous seasons. And so, yeah, it's very possible. The ship has sailed on getting maximum value from him. And that would be a real bummer if that were the case, but you know, the Royals have a long and proud history of not getting maximum value for their players and trading them at the wrong time. So that wouldn't really be out of character for this organization. And as far as that poll goes, if it were a binary choice, dude, I think they, I think they screwed up with Whit Merrifield more, honestly. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I have not looked at Barlow's baseball savant page so far this year. So I don't know if his velo has dipped even more. I don't know how, because I think he had some, um, some break issues last year as well. I think his stuff just wasn't, just wasn't breaking like it used to. So I will have to check that out. But Jeremy, if, if you had to respond to that poll that RFR put up, who would you pick Whit Merrifield or Scott Barlow? Uh, probably Scott Barlow. Um, the thing is that relievers are volatile. So if you're going to trade a reliever, you got to do it while they're hot because you will never know how long that'll last. He might be fine this year. It might be a blip. 
or it might be the beginning of the end. We don't know yet, but we do know that he was hot and they didn't trade him. He continued to be hot. They didn't trade him. And and relievers, especially back-end relievers uh, who are reliable, are uh, very valuable. Whereas I think uh, Royals fans may have overestimated Witt's value even at his peak. Um, he just, he was good. He was solid, but he was never the superstar that I think a lot of K- Kansas City fans think that he was. Um, I think the positional versatility is probably overrated. Uh, and, you know, he was great for Kansas City and and nobody else was going to look at him quite the same way. And obviously he went he's, he had that great starting streak in Kansas City. He gets traded to Toronto. He's he's a bench warmer. Uh, he's a guy who shows up every once in a while. So it's just. I don't know that how much more they could have gotten for Whit Merrifield if they traded him sooner. They obviously could have gotten more, but how much? I, I think they could have gotten more. The, the difference between Barlow's peak and what he's going to end up getting is greater. I, I will push back on that a little bit just because, like, if you look at Whit Merrifield after 2018, you know, he had just led the entire league in hits and stolen bases. He put up eight war total over the prior two seasons. If you look at Fangraphs war. And so you're talking about an everyday guy that can, that's an above average hitter. He can swipe a bag. He plays good defense. He can play all over the field. And he was on an insanely team friendly contract. Like you could have probably gone a haul for him. If you trade him after 2018, you know, like when old man Dugan was screaming, like trade with Merrifield from the rooftops like that, or maybe even after 2019, I feel like you could have gotten a really good return from him, but they trade him at the 2022 deadline when his value was lower than it had ever been because his hitting had just completely regressed. And so obviously you're not going to get much for him at that point. And I think if you're talking about like an everyday player, that's a proven contributor with a lot of team control versus a reliever. And you mentioned the volatility of relievers, like you're going to get more in return for the everyday player. That is fair. That is fair. But Hey, we let's not settle on that. That is all in the past. But we will continue to keep tabs on Scott Barlow because I think he is going to be if if the Royals have any big trade pieces this year, it's it's going to be it's going to be Scott Barlow is going to be one of them. And if or he, he won, who he, must not be named, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one that that's the one. But if you want to keep tabs on all of the Royals trade rumors or trade targets, however you want to frame it. Please go check out RoyalsReview.com, also on Twitter and on Facebook at Royals Review. So, guys, before we got started recording tonight, we were talking a little bit about how impressive Bobby Wood Jr.'s web gem was Tuesday night, that just sprinting over the shoulder catch in I would call it shallow, like shallow left or mid left. I don't know. Like it was he went a long, long way. Solidly um, into left field. Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. So Greg, I know, I know heading into this season, the big concern was Bobby Wood Jr.'s glove because it looked pretty bad at times last year, especially at shortstop. Do you think that so far this season, he's kind of put to bed the whole talk that he's not going to be a good defensive shortstop or he needs to move to third base? Oh no, there's, there's plenty of people who are going to keep insisting he moves to third base. And I'm going to be upset about that for a long time, but you know, small, very, very small sample defensive metrics. He was like the worst defender in baseball last year, but this year he is 90th percentile and now it's above average. I don't think he's going to finish the season 90th percentile, but that's already a massive improvement. And 
I did a pretty detailed breakdown of his defensive metrics over the off season and found he was actually worse at third base than he was playing natural shortstop. Like a lot of his defensive struggles came when he was playing on the other side of the second base bag, which he won't be doing this year because the shift no longer exists. So I still believe in him as a defender. Like, every prospect report about him said he would be a plus defender. Like he would have the very least stick at shortstop. He has all the tools to do it. And I just refuse to believe that every single prospect evaluator and scout in America whiffed on that. I just, I will not believe that. I, you know, I was one of the people uh, last year who was on the move him to third train, not necessarily because I was worried about his defense, but because I wanted him to focus on his offense. And I think third base is a little bit easier to play defensively um, because I was really concerned about his offense last year, more than his defense, defensive metrics do all kinds of weird things. Um, and he's an aggressive player, which is going to lead to some, some interesting things every once in a while. But uh, yeah, he's kind of converting me this year with these, with these running into the outfield and making ridiculous catches. And he's made some pretty good plays on the infield and the grounders too. So uh, yeah, if, if the hitting's not, if, if the hitting's not going to come, then he definitely needs to be at shortstop. And if he's going to play shortstop that well, then uh, he's probably not any worse off at short than at third base, as far as getting that, getting an opportunity to improve his hitting. Besides, and he's supposed to be a generational talent, right? So, like, look, I don't care what position on the field you're playing. Your hitting should come around. Like, that shouldn't be an issue. Every other generational talent, Adley Rutschman's a freaking catcher, which is the hardest position on the oh entire gosh. field. And he's done nothing but hit his entire professional yeah. career. So, I don't want to hear it, honestly, with the, oh, he needs to go to third base to work uh-huh. on his offense. Like, eh, I don't really, I don't buy into that. It's a good thing the Royals won more games than the Orioles that year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great stuff. But no, honestly, I'm I'm very optimistic that maybe Bobby has turned the corner at the plate. I know it started off really, really rough for him in 2023. But I mean, just tonight, he already has a hit and a stolen bag against the Rangers. He had a two-hit game Tuesday night. So that that is some recency bias. But I don't know. He he isn't looking overpowered or baffled as much anymore. He's starting to get more barrels on the ball. So I'm I'm pretty optimistic about it. But before we ramble on too much longer about Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, being a better third baseman than Hunter Dozier, let's go <laughs> ahead and have some Royals review reviews. Greg, please go ahead and start us off. Yeah, so what I'm going to be reviewing tonight is in a shocking upset, not a beer again. I think this might be two reviews what? in a row that wasn't me reviewing a beer as well. I haven't really tried any new ones that I really, really love lately, so I uh, got to keep a look out for that. I'm actually going to give a little bit of review for Evan Drellick's somewhat new book that came out a couple months ago, which is Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. Now, I know our colleague Matthew Lamar did a little review of that over on RollersReview.com a couple months ago, shortly after it came out. So check it out if you want a little bit more detail, but it came out and a lot of Astros fans online were like, Oh, you're still talking about sign stealing scandal. You're still beating this dead horse. But then I read it and it's like, it's really not about the sign stealing scandal. Like it does break down what led to the scandal and what was going on throughout it and afterwards, but it was way more about kind of Jeff Lunau's rise to prominence within baseball within the Houston Astros and how him and Jim Crane kind of fostered this sort of culture within the front office that created the conditions that would lead to a team doing some very obvious cheating in in terms of the sign stealing scandal. So it just gives like a really kind of 
incisive look at what goes on behind the scenes and the sort of culture that the Houston Astros had going on. It's a really interesting look at kind of what happens within front offices. So would absolutely recommend for any baseball fans that are curious about the sort of business side of baseball. Yeah, I've, I've really been enjoying some of the, some of the writing that Evan's done at the athletic. He has some really good long form pieces, um, which they, they aren't easy to do. Uh, you know, I feel like all three of us, we can, we can punch out a good thousand word article on the, on the Royals in a, in a little while, but man, a lot of research, a lot of time goes into his long form pieces and the book, especially. So kudos to him. He had a really good episode on the athletic baseball show where he talked about the process of writing the book and like how, how it came to be. So I would definitely suggest looking that up on Apple podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to this podcast, really. Jeremy, what's your review for this week? I'm going to go ahead and and go outside my usual comfort zone, and I'm going to talk about something not a video game or an anime. I'm going to talk about Shrinking, the Apple Plus show uh, starring Jason Segel and Harrison Ford. I had initially written it off as just kind of a star vehicle for those two, Um, but my sister watched it, and she really loved it. So I decided to give it a chance and they are both acting their butts off. Um, It is a really funny show that will also punch you in the stomach on a regular basis, just to make sure that you remember what emotions are. If you've tried to cut yourself off too much, which is funny because it's a show about therapists and therapy. So uh, I guess it's kind of delivering some of that to you. Um, it's, 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 I'm only four episodes in, I think, but it's really a lot of fun. And, uh, if you're looking for, uh, something, uh, comedy to watch, I, I think you could do worse than this one. There you go. There you go. Well, Hey, I'm going to go really outside the comfort zone. I'm going to, going to go with y'all. Um, I am going to talk about a movie that I watched two nights ago now, um, called bros. It was released last year with Billy Eichner and Luke McFarlane. Um, it is a it is a new take on the rom-com is how I'll call it. It's about two um, gay men in Manhattan, you know, and how they meet and fall in love with each other and what their relationship is and the different dynamics that they have to face. It's it's not everyone's cup of tea. It's not everyone's form of comedy. And, and that's OK. But I really I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very wholesome movie. Um, it featured a very good cover of a Garth Brooks song, of all things. I definitely was not expecting that. Um, but Billy Eichner sang it himself, and he's got he's got some good pipes on him, so power to him. But if you want just a different movie, I'd suggest go check it out, bros. All right, guys, we do have a little bit more time before we get out of here. Jeremy, real quick, tell folks where they can find you on social media and annoy you. Uh, I mean, you could try. I'll just block please, you. It's at Hakaius, H-O-K-I-U-S. And I do know where my block button is. So just you be ready. You're you're no fun. You you blocked me like two weeks ago and it just hasn't been the same, man. I've blocked you six times. What? <laughs> I just, I block you, I unblock you, I block you again. It's great. I I love it here. Greg, do, do you block me? Do you block me on Twitter? No, I, I'm my block list is full of ads that I've seen because whenever I see a promoted post, I just yeah. immediately block whatever the account <laughs> is. It's great. It clears out all of the ads. I bet it does. Where can folks find you on social media? I am on Twitter at Greg, not Craig. It is Craig spelled C-R-E-G. And you can also check out my other podcast, Bat Flips and Infield Shifts, covering all of Major League Baseball as well as Division One College Baseball. You can find that wherever you're listening to this. All right, guys. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining me as always. To y'all listeners still out there, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, 
Go Royals!